When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I want to say thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. Kelly Hooker of Kelly Hook Reads Books on Instagram is joining me today, and we are discussing our favorite reads of the year for this episode, focusing on books that were published in 2021. We also recorded a special Patreon episode where we discuss more books, ones we loved for particular reasons, ones we did not love, most anticipated reads, and much more. And those books are not limited to 2021 releases. For my Patreon members, I also recently launched a Facebook group where we chat all things books and am trying out an early reads program where we read certain books early and meet with the author on Zoom prior to the book's publication. I hope you will join us. I have gotten to know Kelly over the past year and love chatting books with her. She is an avid reader, reviewer, and bookstagrammer. She works part-time as a speech pathologist in Michigan and has two toddler boys. She firmly believes that nap time is for novels. She is an audiobook enthusiast and loves hosting book club reads and author events. She creates seasonal reading guides to help readers pick up the right book at the right time. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome, Kelly. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I am thrilled to pieces that you are here because I have really enjoyed getting to know you over the last nine or 10 months on Bookstagram and enjoy talking books with you as well. So today we decided we were going to talk about our top 12 reads of the year. And instead of doing it by alphabetical order or ranking them, which I could never do, we just decided to award them special awards each and go through and talk about the award, why we awarded each book that award, and also just a little bit about each book. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, me too. Before we get started, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about you? I know many people are going to know you, but for those that don't, you can kind of explain about your account and what else you do. Sure. I'm Kelly Hooker. I'm an avid reader and bookstagrammer at kellyhook.readsbooks, and I live in Michigan. 
And I'm a mom of two toddler boys, and I work part-time as a speech pathologist at a children's hospital. So while my boys are napping on my days off, I try to squeeze in as much reading as I can. And I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. This is a big audiobook season of my life, so I'm embracing that. And I got started on Bookstagram because my New Year's resolution at the start of 2021 was to find more community in my reading life. And so I joined early January, and the community that I've found has just blown me away. I just look back and laugh at that little New Year's resolution, thinking I was going to join a buddy read or something, and it's become so much more. Um, So I read about 20 books a month, give or take, and my reading life focuses primarily on new releases. I just love to read upcoming books that I don't have many expectations for yet. And I want to be a recommendation source for people wondering if a new release book might be for them or not. One of my favorite things that has come from my bookstagram has been the opportunity to organize group reads and author events. So thanks to you helping me get started, I was able to interview Emma Brody. She is the author of Songs in Ursa Major. And then Syed Masood, the author of The Bad Muslim Discount. Our current read is These Silent Woods with a discussion with Kimmy Cunningham Grant in January. And if anybody is interested in joining that group chat, feel free to send me a message and I would be happy to add you. I just loved the one for the Bad Muslim Discount. It was really interesting. You do a great job leading the discussion, interacting with the author, letting other people ask questions when they have questions. So it was a ton of fun and I can't wait for the Kimmy Cunningham Grant one. Thank you. It's been so fun for me too. The other thing that you do that I love and I'm always so impressed with are your seasonal reading recommendations. So, you know, I create that usually on my blog and it's just talking about the book and a picture of the book. You blow that out of the water because you do this beautiful Google Doc that's organized and so well set up. And I mean, it's just the most beautiful reading recommendation format that I have ever seen. Thank you, Cindy. That's so kind of you to say. It's so, so fun for me to put the reading guides together. And I love when people say that it helps them choose their next read because I do think our reading time is precious and it's limited. And so we want to get the best books for our time spent. So I'm so happy to help with that. Well, I just love them. And if people are looking for them, how's the best way to find them? I have links to the summer reading guide and the fall reading guide available through the link in my bio on my Instagram account at kellyhook.readsbooks. Great. And the other thing that you and I did with Sherry of what Sherry reads was we did one of the bookstagram previews for my Patreon account where we talked about underrated gems. And that's still one of my favorite conversations because so many great books came out of that conversation. Yeah, I loved that too. Sherry had some good recommendations and you as well. So it was so fun to chat books with both of you. It really was. So before we dive into our 12 books, I also want to mention that you and I are going to record a Patreon episode where we talk about other awards and we're going to match up awards there. We're going to talk about a book we didn't love, but others did, a book that we disliked, best debut novel, a 2021 release we missed but plan to read. So hopefully people will join the Patreon account so they can hear more award books. I'm looking forward to chatting more books with you. Okay, well, why don't we dive in? So instead of alphabetizing them or ranking them, we are just assigning each book in our list of 12 an award. So why don't you get started? You go first and we'll alternate. Sure. I was able to narrow down a top read of the year for me, and that is These Silent Woods by Kimmy Cunningham Grant. This just came out in November and it is absolutely a five-star read. 
I had a hard time narrowing this down, but at the end of the day, this novel has so much heart that it just has to take the top spot for me. The story follows Cooper and his young daughter Finch, and they seek solace and safety in the Appalachian wilderness, and they hide from the world in a remote cabin. And we don't know why they're living off the grid, but it's clear that they just can't be found. There is just this steady sense of foreboding that is almost palpable, and it looms over the pages. The novel explores grief, loyalty, and sacrifice in a profoundly beautiful way. And I would classify this as slow burn suspense slash literary mystery. The cover makes it look like it has a thriller vibe, and I know it's been classified as that in some places, but I think if you go in expecting a slow burn mystery, you will be set up for success. The ending is staggering. It made me audibly just (gasps) gasp, and I burst into tears, which I never do. It just evoked so much emotion from me, and I'm not a rereader at all, but I do plan to reread this one prior to my author chat because I think the book will take on a whole new meaning with the context of the ending. That was These Silent Woods by Kimmy Cunningham Grant. I loved that book as well, and it's also in my top 12. I assigned it most compulsively readable because I just felt that it was such an amazing, thrilling, and compulsively readable book. When it arrived in the mail, it came in a package for me with a candle and a little bird call and a list of birds that were in the book. And so I sat down to flip through it and literally did not get up till I finished it. I thought it was so good. And I love that Cooper is telling the story that it's told in the first person and it's coming from his perspective. So you don't always know, am I getting the whole story? What's happening here? And you're just on the seat of your chair the entire time you're reading. Yeah, I felt the same way too. I was just glued to the pages and it felt like it was going to be a five-star read all along for me, but the ending just sealed the deal. It was perfect. This is going to be a common theme for me. But with these type of books, the ending can really ruin it. So, you know, I'm always reading along thinking, I love this book. I love this book. But with this whole kind of dread of, I hope the ending lives up to the rest of the book. And it definitely did for this one. I agree. I thought it was wonderful. I just can't wait to participate in your book discussion. And I have been recommending it to everyone I know. Yeah, I do think it has broad appeal. And I loved your interview with Kimmy as well. That's a great one to listen to. Thank you. My award for the most unforgettable protagonist goes to We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. This was also in the running for my top books of the year, and it was blurbed as an instant classic, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. The story follows a year in the life of 13-year-old Duchess Dave Radley, and she is this self-proclaimed outlaw, and she tries to protect her family from a convicted killer moving back to town. Duchess is just feisty and she's so easy to root for. She's the most memorable protagonist I've ever read in fiction. She just has this hard exterior because of the trauma that she suffered, but she's so big hearted and resilient. And this is a coming of age crime story with just a rich cast of characters. I loved the themes of sacrifice, found family and redemption. And the story just made a home in my heart. And it's one that I I still keep thinking about. Disney bought the rights to this, and the movie will be directed by Thomas Kale, who was the director of Hamilton. So I'm really excited to see this come to life on the screen. And he's Australian or something, right? Or Irish? I can't remember. 
But it's interesting because wherever he lives, it's not the United States. And for his ability to be able to bring this whole group of people to life in California when he's never been there and didn't grow up American is kind of interesting. Yeah, it has such a strong sense of place. And I felt so rooted in the United States that it is really baffling to think about that this was written by somebody that doesn't live here. Well, I know we mentioned that we're going to be doing a Patreon episode with some more awards, and this actually gets an award from me in that episode. Oh, great. I can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah. So my next one is Most Underrated Gem, and this is Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. Better Luck Next Time is about life on a divorce ranch outside of Reno in the 1930s. It's told in a flashback format by Ward, who has become one of my favorite fictional characters. So Ward is being interviewed about a six-week period on a divorce ranch outside of Reno. And he is telling about these two women and his relationship with both of them and the time he spent there, what it was like to work there, what the whole divorce ranch process was like, what Reno was like in the 1930s. And it is just a beautiful, quiet story. It is not fast-paced. I mean, it's historical fiction, but it just is so character-driven I loved all of the characters. I loved getting to know them. And I just felt like I was there with them in the 1930s on this divorce ranch. And it's just one of those that has stayed with me ever since I finished it. And that's Better Luck Next Time by Julia Claiborne Johnson. And I interviewed her for my podcast, and she is so much fun. I think that's probably one of my favorite interviews. That sounds like such a unique story and one that I don't think I've really heard told before. So I'm definitely adding that one to my TBR for 2022. Well, and the thing about that book is it came out the day before or the day after the Capitol riot. So I think it really got lost in the shuffle of obviously very important things happening on everybody's radar and nobody was really focused on books coming out. So I feel like it didn't get the attention it normally would have. Yeah, I love that you're highlighting it here now for more people to pick up. I agree. My next book is The Most Unexpected Surprise. The Bad Muslim Discount by Sayed Masood gets this award from me. Based on the cover, I thought this book would be more of a lighter story, but it's such a perfect mix of heart and humor. And as I mentioned before, I had the opportunity to interview Sayed, and it added so much to my reading experience. The Bad Muslim Discount follows two families from Pakistan and Iraq in the 1990s to San Francisco in 2016. And Masood tackles some tough topics here, like assimilation, xenophobia following 9-11, and some complex family relationships, but he does so with a really light touch. And he's an own voices author, so it was really interesting to learn how his own life was reflected in the story. This book had me laughing out loud, which again, I rarely do while reading. I'm a pretty stoic reader, so I think that says something about the humor here. But also, I was tabbing and highlighting all of these quote-worthy passages that contained such wisdom and universal truths that just really resonated with me. I love how Syed created such a unique story with characters that were flawed but endearing as they sought to find their place in the world. What I thought was so interesting from his interview was he mentioned that he, in addition to his YA novels, he has a multiple book deal for thrillers coming. So I'm so excited to see what he's going to do next. I think he's very talented, and I'm excited to see where those talents will take him. And that was The Bad Muslim Discount by Syed Masood. I really enjoyed that book as well, and participating in your book conversation with him was a delight. 
He is so funny and so chatty, and it was just really interesting to hear his perspective on everything and just sort of how it all came about, and then to hear about these thrillers coming up. Yeah, I was so caught off guard by that. But if anybody can take it on, I think it's him. Definitely. YA, and then this book, and then thrillers. That's kind of a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, he's all over the map, and he is a lawyer by trade. And so it's interesting just to see his writing come through in all of these different ways. I agree. So my next one is Most Unsettling, and it's The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. This is speculative fiction set in 2025. It is a pandemic book, but it was written pre-COVID, and it is not a COVID pandemic book. So Christina was brainstorming ideas and wanted to talk about or think about what would happen if one gender mostly disappeared from the planet. She decided to have 90% of the world's men disappear. And she was trying to figure out how to do it. And so she came up with the idea of a pandemic. This book made me think so much as I was reading it. And I still think about it all the time. I'm sure part of that is because of our pandemic, but also just the ideas that she espoused. So if you think about what happens if 90% of one gender disappear, and in this instance, men, it completely turns the world upside down. There are jobs that are predominantly male-oriented jobs. So those have to be filled by women. Who trains them? How do you do that? How do you incorporate that into your world? If you're the mother of girls, you've suddenly won the lottery. If you're the mother of boys, you're completely paranoid and scared to death of what's going to happen to your, your sons. There's no cure. Eventually, there is a vaccine. But for a while, all of these men are just dying right and left. And so women are left around to try to pick up the pieces. Like I said, it is just so thought-provoking such an interesting premise. It is definitely a feminist novel, but it is not anti-men at all. She instead just wanted to discuss and think about and make other people think about the gender imbalance and what happens when something like this hits the world. But what I found amazing about it, even though she didn't really focus on the pandemic as her source of the story, instead for me was what she did predict with respect to our pandemic and the way the vaccine would play out and who would get the vaccine and who wouldn't, and what happens with the supply chain, and just so many various things, like some people believing there's a pandemic, some people saying it's a hoax. She really got all of that right. So it's just such a thought-provoking, interesting, and different read. And I just, like I said, think about it all the time. And that's The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. That sounds so fascinating to me. And I also think it's one that I haven't seen around much. Um, I really haven't seen many reviews for it, but it sounds amazing. I agree. And it was just in the Goodreads Awards finalist. And I'm trying to remember if it's in the, what section it's in, probably the science fiction one, but I was very happy to see it make it to the finals. That's great. Hopefully more people will pick it up. I hope so. My next award is similar. It is the most unsettling yet brilliant debut. <laughs> <laughs> I awarded The Push by Ashley Audrain. This was my first five-star book of the year, and I read this back in January, and it's a book that I still think about. This is a psychological family drama that I just could not put down. Blythe Connor is a young mom who has difficulty connecting with her daughter, Violet, after she's born. And as Violet grows, so do Blythe's concerns, but nobody else seems to share the concerns. So when a tragedy strikes the family, Blythe can't help but wonder if her fears that she had about Violet have come to fruition or if it's just all in her head. And this is a raw picture of motherhood expectations and the slow unraveling of a family, and I thought it was so well done. 
it's ominous and tense, and I could just feel the story sitting heavy in my body. The narrative structure is really unique. It's told in second person, so it feels like you as the reader are being addressed directly. And so that made me feel so connected to Blythe. I hesitate to recommend this broadly because it does deal with the tenderness of postpartum life and mental health and generational trauma. But with that being said, I am a young mom who myself struggled with motherhood expectations after having my first son. And I'm still so glad that I read this. So if you're a young mom, don't count it out. But I do think it's it's worth considering some of the, the trigger warnings here. This just made me feel so seen as a mom and, you know, all that you go through after having a baby. And it was just such a compelling read. And that was The Push by Ashley Audrain. That book has been all over Instagram, and it's been decently controversial. You know, it's one of those that people either really love or really don't love. I haven't read it. Yeah, I can see how it would be unsettling for people. But I just really leaned into the darkness here, and I thought it was unique, and it felt fresh, and I hadn't read anything like it. So I appreciated that about the novel. I always love that, too. That's what I think I liked about The End of Men so much, was that it was fresh and unique, and it makes you think. So and books like that are very important. Yeah, I agree. Well, what's next for you, Cindy? So my next is Noteworthy Nonfiction, and it's House of Sticks by Lee Tran. This is a memoir. Lee is Vietnamese. Her family lived in Vietnam until the 1990s, came over to Queens when she was three. And it talks about what it was like to immigrate, what that experience was like for them. They were brought over by a group, and I cannot remember the name of them right now, but all the group did was help them get their plane tickets. They even had to pay the money back and help them get settled in an apartment. But then they were pretty much just left on their own. So their heating didn't work during the winters, and they nearly had frostbite. They didn't speak English, but still the mom and dad had to find some way to support the kids. Lee has three older brothers and then herself, so there were four children, all decently young. So it was what it was like to switch from Vietnam and House of Sticks. It means many different things for her, but one of them was the home that they had in Vietnam because they were in a small town. And then switching to kind of all concrete New York City, the hubbub of living in Queens, going to school, what that was like. On top of that, her father had extreme PTSD because he had been in a labor camp in Vietnam for a long time. So he would have fits of anger, rage. He always worried about government conspiracies. So from like age 10, she couldn't see very well. And the teachers at her school kept telling her, you need to get glasses. She tried to just sit at the front of the room to kind of help with that. But there were so many things that she missed out on because she couldn't see. But her dad was worried that getting glasses was some kind of government conspiracy that would let the government see into their life. So until she was in high school and a teacher helped her out on the sly, she didn't have glasses. So she couldn't see for, you know, eight years of her growing up. But it was also just what it's like to try to assimilate into a culture, but also try to keep some of your own ways of life and the things that are important to you, your religion, your food, things like that, and just what it was like to try to show up at an American school not speaking English to try to make friends. She eventually ended up going to Columbia University. A teacher understood how smart she was and helped her get a scholarship there. And she's delightful. I interviewed her for the podcast. I've continued to keep up with her. I chose it for my literary salons book club, and it was probably one of the best books we discussed this year through that group. But I just can't recommend it enough. And it's House of Sticks by Lee Tran. That sounds great. And I think immigrant stories are so powerful. And 
they just give us as readers an opportunity just to build empathy for that experience. And I, I think that's great. I think you're exactly right. And that's what I like so much about it was because it really did put me in their shoes to understand what it would be like to be dumped into, you know, some place where you didn't know the language and you didn't know the customs. The food was even different and to try to then make your way. So I definitely think it it is a great way to induce empathy for a group of people you may not know a lot about. Exactly. My next pick is a nonfiction pick as well, but the award is Extraordinary Audiobook. This goes to Will by Will Smith. This just came out in November. It is Will Smith's memoir. I would not consider myself to be a huge Will Smith fan, but I enjoyed The Fresh Prince and listening to Big Willie style as much as the next millennial gal. I expected wit and charm and this magnetic charisma, which of course Will delivered on. But what I didn't expect was this striking vulnerability and this really thoughtful introspection and a deep dive into Will's mental health. He discusses some heavy childhood trauma and how that led him to use humor as a coping mechanism and the motivations behind his determination. Will narrates the audiobook, and in my opinion, it is the best way to read this book. It's such an immersive experience because it includes musical interludes of like these gospel choirs from Will's childhood and hit songs from the 90s, some of which Will raps, and clips from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So even if you don't consider yourself a Will Smith fan, getting a behind-the-scenes look into the TV, music, and film industries was so fascinating. This was such a pleasant surprise for me. I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was a five-star audiobook, five-star nonfiction, and it's tied with Born a Crime by Trevor Noah for the best audio experience ever. And that was Will by Will Smith. That is up next for me when I start my latest audiobook. You had recommended it so highly, so I'd put it on my list, and I've been seeing it everywhere. And it's got such an amazing cover. I just love that cover. It's so good. I almost want to physical copy for my shelves. And I do think the physical book has pictures from his childhood and upbringing, which could be interesting too. But if you go the physical book route, you've got to pair it with the audio. When I interviewed Mark Pearson, the CEO of Libro FM, he said that's their biggest selling audiobook right now. Oh, I can see why. Good. Well, I'm so glad you liked it so well, and I can't wait to start listening. Yeah. What's next for you? Best book based on a true story. So this is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck which I have been shouting about all year long, so most people have already heard me talk about this one probably. It's the fictionalized account of the life of American spy Virginia Hall. So Virginia had a prosthetic leg. She had an injury when she was 18. And so she was not able to join the American army or any kind of American forces for World War II, but she was able to join British forces. So she ends up working for the resistance. She gets airlifted into France. And she dresses as an older woman as part of her disguise. As she's coming in to meet these French resistance workers, they're like, who is this old woman trying to help us and what kind of help is she going to be? So she has to earn their trust. But slowly they all realize that she knows exactly what she's doing. She's got this entire network structured. It's an interesting story because she is not the most likable individual. She is so focused on what she's doing, you know, on a mission to help the West win the war or help the allies win the war. But I just loved it. It's one of those books that, again, I think about all the time. I think that must be a way that books make it onto my top 12 list is those that just stay with me long after I finish reading them. Her bravery, her courage, 
She's in the CIA museum. And so Erica Robot got to actually tour the museum and learn all about some of her missions. And there's some of the documents and different things left over from those missions there. And then she did work for the CIA for the rest of her career. She lived in Maryland, married actually a guy she met during her work in France, and then finished out her career in the United States. But just talk about somebody who has one prosthetic leg, crosses the Pyrenees with that leg, and just is behind enemy lines all of this time, stays safe, but saves so many people. It's just such an amazing story. And that is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. I love that authors are bringing attention to some of these stories of women in history who have done these incredibly brave things and are just getting readers to know about these incredible acts. I love that. I think that's been such a focus of historical fiction over the last couple of years, bringing all of these unknown women's stories to the forefront, and I love it. That is a perfect segue into my next category, which is Best Historical Fiction. And The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray takes this category. I think this is historical fiction at its finest. It's based on the true story of Belle de Costa Green. And Belle was a black woman passing as white in high society during the Gilded Age in New York. And as the personal librarian to J.P. Morgan, Belle curated these manuscripts and art for the Pierpont Morgan Library. And even though Belle was the most successful, high-powered career woman of her day, her entire livelihood and safety of her family hinged on upholding her false identity as a white woman. The story has elements of secrecy and sacrifice and betrayal, which kept me so engaged. I love how Belle went head-to-head with the world's wealthiest men in bidding wars for extremely valuable art, and she won. The novel was written by the author duo of Marie Benedict, who is a white woman, and Victoria Christopher Murray, who is a black woman. And I thought this brought just an authentic perspective of identity and race to the story, which I so appreciated. The author's note at the end is not to be missed. It's so heartfelt in describing the author's collaboration together in writing this book. And it also noted that Victoria Christopher Murray's grandma passed as white, which was so fascinating to me. I think readers who enjoyed The Vanishing Half or just stories of women in history with Moxie will want to pick this one up. And that is The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray. This is in my top 12 as well, and I had it as historical fiction standout, so effectively the same award. And I just loved it. My middle daughter is in school in New York City, and I had never been to the Morgan Library. So when I dropped her off in the fall, I went over there with the book, and I had so much fun taking all these pictures with the book, and then also just wandering around and kind of envisioning her working there and what it was like. And it's such a beautiful story. And I also, in addition to learning so much about the passing and what that was like for her, I also just learned so much about old manuscripts and some of the different things that she was trying to track down. She was so intelligent and she was put in such a difficult position because the other part that's just fascinating is that her father, Richard Greener, was the first black man to graduate from Harvard. So you go from this man who's the first black man to graduate from Harvard to a woman who in the 30 or 40 years, the shift in the country has gotten so crazy with Reconstruction and Jim Crow that she has to pass to be able to work for J.P. Morgan. And the other thing that was amazing to me was that nobody knew she was passing till after her death. I mean, her family did, but nobody within the Morgan Library or those people that had interacted with her knew that. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I just can't imagine the stress that she was under 
constantly trying to live this life that she knew was false, but knew it would give her the best opportunity. I just think that was a really brave decision. I agree completely. And just how difficult that would be personally, like with her relationship with her father strained because of it, but it did give her such wonderful opportunities for herself and for the rest of her family because she helped support them. So yes, it's just really such a thought-provoking and interesting story. Yeah. I love that you visited New York City as well and could go to the library. I bet that just brought the story to life in a new way. And that is on my list of places to go. It really did. And then I also was just laughing because I was all over the place trying to take a picture of my book. And I think the guards were like, what is she doing? Because I would wait for people to get out of the way. And I think they were kind of like, what is this crazy woman doing with her book and her camera? (laughs) What's up next for you, Kelly? I have the award for Most Relatable to Boy Moms. And this is Landslide by Susan Conley. Landslide is a quietly beautiful novel, and it explores motherhood, marriage, and the ways that we carry grief. On a remote island off the coast of Maine, Jill is left to care for her teenage sons, who she lovingly refers to as the wolves, as her husband recovers from a serious fishing accident. And as a young mom, I just so appreciate the wisdom of moms who have gone before me. And this book felt like a glimpse into my future, which made me a little bit nervous, but also made me excited for the stages to come. And Landslide felt like an encouraging hug just shared from one boy mom to another. Susan Conley writes in a way that just feels raw and relatable. And the prose was sparse, but so insightful. I feel like she said a lot in few words, which I appreciated. I was just highlighting things left and right in this book. The story is really bittersweet and messy, but it's also a wonderful reminder of the joys and challenges of raising kids in various stages. And that is Landslide by Susan Conley. I have heard great things about that book and read all sorts of wonderful reviews, but I haven't picked it up. Yeah, I think that it would be one that is great for if you're just looking for a cozy read. It's short. I think it would be a good one for you. Good. All right. Well, my next one is Most Perfectly Plotted. It's The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman. So I fell in love last year with A Thursday Murder Club, his first book in the series, about these four octogenarians who live at an English retirement community outside of Kent. That book became kind of a sleeper hit. It has sold over a million copies, but just slowly over the year, it just kind of kept selling, kept selling. So this is the second book in the series. We return to Cooper's Chase, the retirement community, and these same four octogenarians. And this time they're dealing with a man who has stolen diamonds and the mafia is after him and he is a wanted man and he wants to take safe haven at Cooper's Chase. And so they hide him, but things go desperately awry. And so it's what happens as they try to unfold the mystery, look for the diamonds, figure out what happened and go from there. One of the things that I love so much about this series is these characters, these octogenarians. They're each one so unique and well-drawn. Elizabeth is a former MI5 agent. Joyce is a former nurse, and she keeps a diary, which is an absolute hoot. Ron was a union organizer, and then Ibrahim was a psychiatrist. So you bring them all together with their backgrounds and their different personalities, and they work so well together. It's one of those stories like you were talking earlier. You're literally laughing out loud as you're reading, but there's also a very clever mystery There's such a feeling of community and how they rely on each other in this kind of later stages of life. It's just a different type of read, but I just can't recommend it enough. And that is The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman. 
And that is the second installment in the series. Is that correct? That's exactly right. It's the second installment. And people have been raving about it. It's one of those few times where I've seen across the board, people think the second one is even better than the first. That was my next question. I haven't read either, um, but do you need to read them in order? You know, you could, but I've been billing this as a standalone as well. I mean, it is the second in a series, but I don't think you have to read the first one. I think that he does a great job of dropping you into the story, but giving you enough background on the characters that you'd be fine to just pick this one up. Okay. That sounds so charming. It is. They're just delightful. Richard Osman is a British TV celebrity. I think he runs some game shows and some other things. And so he must have an incredible sense of humor because it really shines through in the book. Oh, how fun. What's up next for you? My next category is Best Underrated Gem. This is The World Played Chess by Robert Dugani. This is an underrated gem because it's got about 4,600 reviews on Goodreads, but it's got a 4.54 rating. So Robert Dugani stole my heart with his previous novel, The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell. So I had really high hopes for The World Played Chess, and this came out in September. I'm happy to report that this book didn't let me down. Dugani is the master of coming-of-age stories. So the story follows three 18-year-old men at different points in history. First, we meet William in 1967, fighting in the Vietnam War. And this is a war that he is traumatized from, but he doesn't understand the purpose of. And then we meet Vincent in 1976. And he's just having a carefree summer working construction alongside of William. And his worldview is drastically impacted by William's PTSD and sharing of his war experience. And then finally, we, in 2016, we meet Vincent's son, Beau, who is on the verge of high school graduation, but he also experiences great loss of his own. So although they are decades apart, each boy is on the precipice of manhood, and they're facing the timeless challenges of identity, responsibility, and integrity. William's storyline in Vietnam, to me, was the most captivating, because I haven't read much about the Vietnam War in general. Dugani really transports readers to the battlefields, and his writing is just so easy to get lost in. The ending had a truly shocking moment, and it was incredible. The author has an extensive backlist of detective novels, which I have not read, but I'm really curious to check those out after loving his last two books. And that is The World Played Chess by Robert Dugani. That's so funny that you mentioned his backlist, because I've read most of them. It's Tracy Crosswhite as his detective, and I love those books. And I have The World Played Chess, but I have not read it yet, and I've seen nothing but wonderful things about it. I was worried it was a little too grim for me. Is it really grim? I think that in some aspects, it's heartbreaking, as any war story would be. But the camaraderie that these you know, men share together is heartwarming and hopeful too. So I don't think it's an overall grim tone, but it does have some heavy themes related to war. Okay. Well, it's on my list and I will get to it. And I think you would really enjoy the Tracy Crosswhite series. Good. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I will definitely pick those up. So my next one is best recommendation from a friend. My friend, Anne Glasgow, who's Anne Aus Tex on Instagram. So Anne, A-U-S-T-E-X always has wonderful book recommendations. She's very thoughtful when she reviews her books and has interesting and unique things to say, which I always enjoy. So as soon as she finished this book, she messaged me and she's like, you must read it. So this is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McGonaghy. This is definitely in my top three of the year. I loved this book and I have been telling everyone I know to read it. I don't even know how to, to put into words how much I loved it. 
So this story takes place in Scotland, in the Scottish Highlands, and it has to do with the fictional reintroduction of wolves to Scotland. Charlotte had read American Wolf, which is another book I love and we'll be talking about in our Patreon episode. And she thought this was such an intriguing concept, the way that the wolves had been introduced to Yellowstone. She takes this concept and transfers it to the Scottish Highlands. She follows Inti and her twin sister, Aggie. And Inti is in charge of this reintroduction. And they come over and it follows the way the wolves will be reintroduced, what happens, what happens in the community around, because the farmers are not excited at all about wolves coming into their community and losing livestock, what it means to the local people generally, what it means when you reintroduce an animal or even a plant to an ecosystem. So she just does such a wonderful job of bringing the wolves to life, the characters to life. It's kind of got this magical, mystical feeling, and it's just beautiful. I just, I can't recommend it enough. And that is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McGonaghy. I really enjoyed that one too. I also loved her debut novel, Migrations. I bought it as soon as I finished this one, but I haven't read it yet. But I'm hoping to get to it over the holidays because I'm assuming as much as I loved Once There Were Wolves that I will also like Migrations. I absolutely think you will. Okay, good. My next award is Best Genre Switch by a Beloved Author. And the award goes to When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. This is a gritty mystery, and it felt like an emotional gut punch in all the best ways a five-star book should. Paula is best known for her historical fiction novels, and my favorite of hers is The Paris Wife, about Ernest Hemingway's wife. And When the Stars Go Dark was a departure for her, but I think it really worked. Anna Hart is a missing persons detective in San Francisco. After a family tragedy, she heads north to the small town of Mendocino to escape. And while she's in Mendocino, Anna is drawn into the case of a local teenage girl who's gone missing. The story is based on true missing children's cases, as well as Paula's own experiences in the foster care system and as a sexual abuse survivor. So I think because of that lens, the story has such authenticity and the vulnerability in the writing can only come from somebody who knows exactly what it feels like to rise from a broken childhood. I just think Paula McLean leaves it all on the table here. I'm just so thankful that she did. And that is When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. I love that one as well. And it will be one of the ones that I mentioned in the Patreon episode. I just thought it was very, very well done. I thought it was so unique how she pulled aspects from true crime and fictionalized events and meshed them together. I think it worked so well. I agree. What's next for you? So my next is most likely to reread, and it's Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. So this is historical fiction, and this is one of those books that just makes you want to hug the book. <laughs> it is just such a beautiful story, and it is one of those that I truly have not stopped thinking about. I tell people about it almost daily. I constantly recommend it when people are looking for gift ideas or a book they want to just get drawn into. So the story is about C.S. Lewis and how he came up with the idea for Narnia. Instead of making it a nonfiction story, she instead makes it historical fiction. So it tells the story of George, a young boy who is terminally ill, and his older sister, Megs. Megs is at Oxford, where C.S. Lewis is an Oxford Don. It's 1950, and George is at home loves to read, and he stumbles upon The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which has just come out. He loves this book. He's read and reread it, and he's just dying to know more about it. So he begs Megs to go and track down C.S. Lewis and ask him all about Narnia. 
So Megs is a science and math person. She's very literal, doesn't really like stories, and is very black and white about things. So she goes because she loves her brother, George. She goes and tracks down C.S. Lewis, who actually goes by Jack. And she meets both Jack and his brother, Warney. And they invite her in. And she says, I need to ask you these questions from my brother. The first one is, tell me where the idea for Narnia came from. So instead of just giving her a straight up answer, Jack tells her stories about his childhood. Slowly but surely, he unveils all these different things that happened to both him and his brother, Warney, as they were growing up. And so Megs is frustrated. She goes back to George and she says, he didn't answer my question. He just told me all these stories. And so then she relays the stories to George, who says, oh, in fact, he completely answered your questions. He just did it through story. So Meg learns to understand the power of story. She learns to work through her grief for her brother, and she enjoys this new relationship she has with Jack and Warney. It's one of those stories that is just so beautifully done. And every single page, I would just reread a sentence, reread a couple of sentences. I don't highlight like you do, Kelly, but I think if I would, this would have been one where I'd been highlighting like crazy. I just can't mark up my book. So it's kind of like I can't bend pages. But it's one of those that I know I'm going to go back and reread. It's not super long. And it's just such an intricately beautiful tale about the importance of community and story and being drawn together, and the impact that your childhood has on the rest of your life. The other part that is just wonderful about it is that when Patty did her first book about C.S. Lewis and his second wife, Joy Davidman, and it's called The Second Mrs. Lewis. So when she wrote that book, she befriended Joy's son and C.S. Lewis's stepson. I think his name is Donald. So then she reached out to him again when she was writing this book, and she sent the book to him pre-publication, wanted to see what he thought about it. He wrote the most beautiful two-page letter that is at the back of the book about what a wonderful book it is and how she really brought C.S. Lewis to life and incorporated the tales from his youth and what just a wonderful representation it was of him. And it just made me love the book even more. And that is Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. I loved this one too. My only regret is that I read it in August and I just felt like the timing was all wrong. I wanted to be like under a cozy blanket with a hot mug of tea in front of a fire just to get the full effect. Because I think if if you're looking for a holiday read but aren't necessarily into holiday romances or things like that, I think this would be a perfect pick. I think that's exactly right. Well, it's interesting to me because I do hear people calling it a cozy read. And I think cozy with respect to being under a blanket is right. But I think there's so much depth to it. And cozy to me is a tad bit misleading because it makes me think of like all those cozy mysteries, which are so light. And I think this is a, it, this book has so much depth and personality and just heart, you know? And so I, I just think it's one of those books that will stay with me for a very long time. I agree. My next award is The Strongest Sense of Place. And this goes to Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. This is a stunning debut novel that I just got absolutely lost in. I read this on the beach with my toes in the waves this summer, and it was just perfect. This is loosely based on the little-known relationship between Joni Mitchell and James Taylor, and the story follows small-town sensation Janie Q and her rise to stardom in the 1960s and 70s music scene. And the way that Emma wrote about the concerts and traveling the country on tour and Janie's small island hometown was just so immersive. I just felt like I had just been completely transported there, and I loved that about this book. I was expecting a story, you know, about all that comes with the rock and roll lifestyle, but the story had so much more depth and complexity than I thought. 
Brody touched on topics like substance abuse and mental health in a really thoughtful way. Emma Brody's writing is so cinematic, so I wasn't surprised to learn that this has been optioned for a film. One of the things that was really unique about this book as well is lyrics are woven throughout the story. And it's just so poetic to to see her lyrics on the page. And there's even a music video that you can download that her brother helped produce that I think just brings this story to life in a new way. And here is my unpopular opinion, but I enjoyed this story more than Daisy Jones and the Six. I just thought it was, I just thought it was better. I thought there was more to it. I know that we both interviewed Emma and she's just such a warm and kind-hearted person, which I think makes the book even sweeter to me. And that is Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. Well, as you know, this is one of my favorite books of the year as well. I have been shouting it from the rooftops since I read it in like April. I have this one down as most likely to recommend to a friend because that is literally what I have been doing since April. I love this book. I love this era of music, the music festivals, the late 60s, early 70s. I had no idea that James Taylor and Joni Mitchell had even had a relationship, so I love learning about all of that. Emma took a lot of her inspiration from Blue, Joni Mitchell's very iconic album. And so she listened to it over and over again and kind of felt like a lot of it was written about James Taylor and sort of drafted the story from there. I thought it was amazing that she wrote the lyrics and that her brother then wrote music to go with it. The other thing I really liked was all of the sexism in the music industry. Now, I have to say that again. I didn't like the the sexism in the music industry. (laughs) I liked that she was talking about the sexism in the music industry. Joni Mitchell had encountered the same thing, but that I think Jane, as she's trying to work her way through you know, her career and she's wanting to go in a different direction and they're really wanting to pigeonhole her, you know, what they want her to do. And there's so few women and so many men and they're all trying to tell her they know what's best. And she's like, no, I really need to go my own way. But then she ends up learning the consequences of that. So I felt that that was another dimension to the story that I really appreciated as well. But definitely Sense of Place is another great award because you just feel like you're there at a rock concert in the early 70s. Yeah, I think especially coming off of, you know, 2020, where we couldn't do concerts or, you know, big events, it just felt like a little escape to be able to go to a big crowded arena. And just to to get those concert vibes was so fun for me. And I loved the ending. I really worried as I was reading that it was going to be too neatly wrapped up or so predictable, and it wasn't at all. And I really appreciated that. I did too. I was getting concerned and no need for that. Emma did a great job. Now, I have to say, I probably would tie it with Daisy Jones because I absolutely love Daisy Jones as well, but I agree that it is equally as good. Yes. I think if you enjoy Daisy Jones, you will absolutely enjoy songs in Ursa Major. I agree. Okay. My next category is Best Page Turner, and Hostage by Claire McIntosh is the winner of this award. Hostage is the crime thriller of the year, in my opinion. This was so propulsive and high stakes. And Claire McIntosh's previous novel, I Let You Go, was also a five-star read for me. There is a moment in that book that shook me, and that just made me so eager to read Hostage. The story is about Mina, and she is a flight attendant on the maiden voyage of the first nonstop flight from London to Sydney. And while she's airborne, she receives threats from an unknown assailant, and she has to either help coordinate a hostage on the plane, or her only daughter will be killed. I just loved the tension here. Mina is faced with an impossible choice, and as she weighs the lives of all the passengers on board with the one life she cherishes most, I couldn't help but just put myself in her position. 
as a mom and really think through, oh, oh my, what would I even do here? The story slowly unfolds hour by hour on the flight and just the whole time, the tension never lets up. I just can't think of anything more terrifying than being 35,000 feet in the air with a murderer on board the aircraft. This was just perfectly plotted and the ending was amazing. I also thought it was fascinating that Claire McIntosh had a previous career as a police officer and it's clear that she brings this kind of legal lens to the story. This was smart and thought-provoking and so much more than a popcorn thriller. I loved it. And that is Hostage by Claire McIntosh. I love that book so much too. And it really just barely didn't make my 12. I had so much trouble getting from 15 to 12. I just, there were three books that I loved. And as I was kind of parsing through and parsing through, it just barely got bumped off. I loved it. I love that ending because there's really two endings. There's like one ending where you think it's the ending. And then you get to the real ending and you're like, oh my gosh. And I just felt she built the suspense so well, as you described. I also loved the way she told the story, where she told it from several different characters' perspectives, but then she also drops in random passengers on the plane and little chapters about them and what they're thinking. And I thought that really added to the suspense. And I couldn't imagine if I were Mina. I mean, I've thought so much about that as I was reading the book. You have no idea who is threatening you versus, you know, a normal hostage situation on a plane. You know who the hijackers are. You know what's happening, but instead you're just fearful. Like, am I serving the person now that is threatening me? Am I, is this person that's coming down the aisle the person threatening me? I just love the building of that suspense. And the other thing I loved without it being a spoiler was the reason behind why they were taking the the hostages, because I feel like there are so many different ideas for that type of thing. And then a lot of times they become very stereotypical or it's just sort of the same idea over and over again. And hers was so clever and so current and very important. And I just loved that. I agree. It didn't play into typical stereotypes at all. It was just a legitimate, unique motivation for this crime. And so I thought that was so well done. Yes, I highly recommend that one as well. Great. What's your next read? So my next one is Book I Wish Everyone Would Read, and that's The Speckled Beauty by Rick Bragg. It's a memoir about his very bad dog, as he entitles Speck. I love Rick Bragg. He's a Southern writer, writes all nonfiction. He's had so many wonderful memoirs, and I have read every one of them. So as soon as I saw that he had a book about his dog, I was totally intrigued. So Rick has had a rough few years. He's had a lot of health trouble. He's had cancer. He's been treated for it. As a result, he's had heart and liver failure. He's in his early 60s, and he heads home to live with his mom in Alabama while he's recovering. While he's there, this dog starts showing up all of the time. The stray dog clearly been in a lot of fights, but he won't go away. So he keeps showing up, and eventually Rick decides that he'll adopt him. But they already have a number of dogs and cats and animals on the farm that he's living with with his mom. And so this dog is upending everything, stealing biscuits off of the cookie sheets, howling at the moon at 4 a.m., chasing down the FedEx driver. And so eventually his mom names the dog the Speckled Beauty, and they call him Speck for short. And he realizes over time that instead of him adopting the dog, that the dog has really adopted them. And the dog is really helping him through a rough time in his life and how important it is that he's had this relationship with the dog. It is just the sweetest story. You will laugh. You will cry. It's a very quick read. And the other thing that I loved about it is that Speck is still alive at the end of the book. So many of the times with these dog memoirs, 
the dog has passed away and then the owner is writing about it. But in this instance, Speck is alive and kicking, chasing the FedEx man, still stealing biscuits, taunting the cats, knocking Rick down. I just thought it was such a wonderful book. And I have been telling everyone I know that it would be the perfect gift for any pet lover. And that is The Speckled Beauty by Rick Bragg. That sounds so sweet. We do not have a dog. I love dogs, but I also have two toddler boys, and I feel like I just can't have any more crazy in my life at this time. I get it. (laughs) But this could maybe be a good way for me to get my dog fix in. Yes, it really is. And you know, the other one that's a really great dog story is Woodrow on the Bench that Jenna Blum just came out with about her old dog and his like nine or the nine or 10 last months of his life. And it's a really sweet story too, but it's much sadder. Okay. I just love the companionship that dogs bring and those both sound great. Yeah. So now we're to your last one. Yes. My last award is Most Refreshingly Candid. And this goes to Good Apple by Elizabeth Passarella. Good Apple is an essay collection that felt like a leisurely happy hour chat with a great friend. Elizabeth is the former editor at Real Simple and Vogue magazines, and she currently writes for Southern Living. I wasn't familiar with any of her work before reading this, but I just thought this was a delightful memoir. It's just refreshing and witty as she explores the evolution of her Christian faith as a Southern Republican turned New York City Democrat. And although the essay collection tackles some tough topics like marriage and parenthood, miscarriage and grief, everything was handled with a thoughtful touch and just with kind of this self-deprecating humor that I appreciated. What I love most about this book is the way that Elizabeth discusses her faith and politics in such a nuanced way that is grace-filled, and I don't see discussions like this taking place often. So that was really refreshing. I also loved that her story is focused on identity and belonging. People are just beautifully complex and can't be reduced down to a single label based on their location or upbringing. Elizabeth writes from a Christian lens, but I think that everyone can relate to her desire just to do something different from the family that she grew up in and forge her own path in life. And I think if an author can express like deep spiritual truths through an ice maker metaphor, then count me in. That is Good Apple by Elizabeth Passarella. So this book was recommended by you and Sherry when we did our Patreon episode, and it had already been recommended by Julia Claiborne Johnson. So I reached out to Elizabeth, got the book, read it, loved it, and then interviewed her. She is just delightful. So much fun, hilarious. She and her family live in this tiny apartment in Manhattan, and we talked all about that. And I tell you, I did absolutely love this book, but what I love the most about it, because I have a love affair with New York City, is how she brought the city to life. Talk about a sense of place. I just felt like I was dropped right into Manhattan with her on the streets of the city. What she loves about New York is what I love about New York. It really brought to life a place that is one of my very favorite places in the world. It's a delightful read. I agree. I've never been before, but this book just made me want to go so badly and just see the places that she's talking about and the things that she appreciates. I just, I loved it. I did too. So my last is Best Sweeping Family Saga, and it's We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. This is one of those books that for some reason didn't necessarily sound that good to me initially, but I kept seeing it all over Bookstagram. So I eventually picked it up and I read it on vacation and I read it so quickly. I had to kind of put everybody aside, even though we were on vacation and be like, I've got to get to the end of this book. So it's about an Irish family struggling to come to terms with its past. 
Sunday, the only daughter, had fled to L.A. about five years prior, and no one knows why. She's living out there on her own and has kind of alienated herself from the family. She ends up in a bad accident, and her brother comes out to bring her back to New York, and everything kind of cracks open from there. So it's about family, secrets, belonging, what happens when things are covered up instead of dealt with. I just loved it. Most people seem to really like it. Some people don't necessarily like all of the characters, but I really did. I felt they each had a place in the story. There was a purpose behind them. One of the boys is a special needs character. I really liked the way she dealt with that. I felt it was very well done, very thoughtful. And I just all the way around loved the book and I loved its resolution. I just felt like it was an incredibly thoughtful debut. It's amazing that it's her debut. It also is a Goodreads finalist in the debut category, which I think is very well deserved. And that's We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. I'm so glad you brought this one because it just missed the cut for my top 12. I loved it too. And I am not a big family drama reader. This is the first year that I really started picking them up. But they were so endearing. And after the book was over, I missed them. And I still think about them and wish I knew them in real life. And I just want more from their family. I hope there's a sequel coming. I doubt it. But wouldn't that be great? It would be. She's writing another story about an Irish family, but sadly, it is not a sequel. But I was the same way. I wish I could go to their family-run bar. I'm not a big family drama reader either because usually they're too grim and there's like all this abuse and things are just so dark. And that's what I loved about this one was that it was, there was a lot going on. There's emotional depth, but doesn't cross the line for me into things that I don't really want to read about. Yep. I loved it too. And I can't wait to read more from her. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast and chatting about your 12 favorite books of the year with me. I'm looking forward to chatting on our Patreon episode about tons more books. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider becoming a page turner in my Patreon program. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right.